I want to preach a message for you this morning uh, that uh, I, I think I would describe as a really good winter message. Uh, it's the first of um, uh, July. Happy new financial year to all of you accountants and those of you who uh, think in these terms. Not often it occurs on a Sunday. For those of you who uh, couldn't care less, God bless you as well. And that is no problems at all. But uh, Winter is an interesting time of year uh, when it comes to uh, the seasons of life and uh, we often get a lot of the lessons about life from the seasons. Uh, I guess those of you probably are aware that we live in an economic world which is uh, solely based on, in many parts of the world, on constant growth. So if a, if a company or an economy doesn't grow in some way uh, in a particular year, it's basically thought to have gone backwards or to have failed. Uh, and, uh, you know, the idea that you can keep growing all the time seems to be prevalent in our society. Uh, and at times it's done in what they call a, an unsustainable way where, you know, someone's got to pay the price, whether it's the environment or whatever, for this constant growth. But it's interesting that we think that way because when we look to the natural world, we see a yearly cycle where growth is not constant all of the time, where uh, spring is the time of things emerging, if you like, and, and then summer becomes the, the months of harvest. But autumn then becomes uh, a time of preparation almost or a time of turning over the growth that has just occurred. And then winter is the, the season of dormancy, of stillness, uh, of death in some circumstances, where uh, it seems like nothing's happening. Uh, it seems like that things are, you know, stuck. And I want you to think for a moment, if, if you can, imagine you were a person who had only ever experienced winter. Just say you could be dropped into earth in the middle of winter, perhaps a morning like today when it's three degrees, even uh, down at the beach, uh, two degrees I heard in Belair. So uh, if you were dropped into the earth just in winter, you'd think well, this is a, a fairly cold, miserable place where not a lot happens. But because those of us who are experienced at life, know that the other seasons are coming, winter takes on uh, the right perspective. We understand, even if it makes us miserable and we get colds and we don't like being cold, uh, that warmer months and a different season is coming. Yet we understand that winter uh, has a purpose. Now, the reason uh, that I'm telling him all of that is because the two words that I guess underline this sermon today are treading water. And I want to invite, if you like, uh, you to think about times in your life when you've been treading water or to consider whether you might describe your current period in life as treading water. And I guess I want to give you some tools to use during that time to understand the context of what's going on in your life and to engage with that. Now, treading water, I guess it can uh, be different in terms of how we assess that. Sometimes it might be a period of utter desolation in your life, of, of grief and of mourning and of 
the sense of things have gone wrong and, you know, you really feel stuck. And it can be quite a significant and serious time of maybe depression or that type of stuff. Or it may be just a sense of, you know, not much is happening. You know, I'm not sure what's going on. I've lost my direction. You know, God's on leave. He's lost my number, you know, and that kind of thing. It could be maybe serious, but not quite so serious. And I think in some way, I'd like to think I'm a good candidate to preach this sermon, but probably not a lot different from most Christians. Uh, I calculated the other day that... um, In November this year, I would have been a Christian for 35 years. 35 years. Do you get a card for that one? Do I get discount at Gurong for that? Um, 35 years. And those 35 years, every single moment of them, I've been growing on an upwards trajectory, becoming more like Jesus to the point where now I'm about to send to heaven and sit on the right-hand side of God. Why are you shaking your head, Anne? You don't believe me? You, you are saying that I haven't been on this wonderful trajectory of growth and rising more in my Christian life and moving closer to heaven for each of those 35 years? And how could you? But it's not true, so it makes sense. And I would have to say, looking back uh, over my life, that There'd been heaps of times when I've been treading water. Uh, In fact, at least half of that time, if not more, when there's been periods of dormancy, periods of, you know, uh, staticness, periods of even spiritual grief or a sense of lostness or disconnectedness from God and from others. Um, And, you know, there have been times when... uh, Early on, probably not so much these days, thankfully, but certainly early on in my Christian walk, where I really would look and think, what happened when I said yes to Jesus? What was I thinking? Because the sense of being stuck and, and lost was so great that I would even question things like my decision to walk after him. And I remember, I can't quite remember exactly when it was, but there was a time when I actually made this uh, discovery that no, it was actually correct and right to say yes to Jesus, but I had just got into such a hole that I was so stuck that I, I finally acknowledged Jesus is Lord. He is there, but I'm just in. I'm just being treading water. I'm just stuck. I'm just in a moment where you know, I'm a bit lost. And I was able to make that differentiation between what was happening to me and what he had done for me. So I really want to encourage you all today because I know that there are lots of times when people get stuck, when they feel they're lost, when they might be depressed, when they they question their faith or they feel like they're treading water or they're not sure what God is doing or where he is. And this is not something that we just struggle with as individuals, but it can affect families, it can affect workplaces, it can affect communities, it can affect churches as well where there's that sense of where is God and what is happening at this particular moment in time. So I really want to encourage you all in that. And um, I want to also alert you to the fact, surprising uh, as it may seem, that the Bible has lots to say about the big questions that we can ask in life, um, including lots of the questions that uh, we may be asking when we are uh, treading water. 
Uh, and sometimes the art has answers to the questions uh, that uh, we maybe are not thinking about at a particular time. But sometimes our response is, well, we think we already know the answers or maybe we don't want to know the answers at this time. And we don't seek out the scriptures in a way uh, that we should. But the Bible uh, has something to say to us. And because we use it when we preach, you are going to hear it anyway, uh, whether you like it or not. I was thinking of the list of situations just before we go any further um, that... Uh, might apply to people treading water. I'm thinking of young folks who are at high school or in tertiary education who feel like they're going through the motions. The unemployed can especially feel like their life is going nowhere. Parents, especially single parents, sometimes can feel like life consists of an endless stream of tasks. Empty nesters and retirees uh, can also find themselves asking what now or is this all there is? Uh, and, uh, you know, it could be things like a job, a course of study, a relationship, a ministry, a church, as I said, even your faith that has you feeling like you've stagnated. If you're not a Christian, you're also a prime candidate to ask questions like, what on earth am I doing here? And that's when we really get into a battle for meaning and for purpose. The interesting thing is uh, that when it comes to who, people that wrote the Bible, there are lots of them who would, cla- who would qualify to be people who were going through the motions and who were treading water. They actually were invited by God to write some of the scriptures and then they got to express their frustration, express their concern and express their grief in the Bible. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon sometimes as humans, when it comes to people making complaints, we're often thinking, well, yeah, that's fine. I'm just going to put them over there. And they, you know, it's like, man, I can't deal with that. You know, file it under C for complaints, uh, you know, and just move it on. And, and, you know, sometimes we don't deal very well with complaints or with complaining. But God, incredibly, he actually makes space in the Bible for people complaining. He's quite comfortable and relaxed about people speaking into these times uh, when they were treading water or distressed or depressed or uh, complaining. He actually allows them to put it in there. And of course, one of the uh, places where this complaining and this frustration appears most often is in the book of Psalms. So the Psalms is a great celebration of the goodness and grace of God, but it's also a place where real people get to say real things about how they're travelling. Now, um, just before, I'm, I've, this is okay now. I think the battery might have been a bit wobbly. I want to read you a quote about the Psalms from Philip Yancey. Um, and uh, I want you to listen to this. It's from the book you can see in front of you, Prayer Doesn't Make Any Difference, Challenging Question. Yancey says, The Psalms keep me honest by furnishing words to prayers that I would not pray apart from their prompting. I've learned to pray more humanly by reading the Psalms and making them prayers. As I've read Psalms of anger and revenge, I have to face the same tendencies in myself. The Psalms expose to the light resentments and wounds long hidden. I find it liberating that God welcomes and even encourages me to face into my dark side in my prayers. I can trust God with my secrets. 
it's an interesting way of looking at the Bible because honest, sometimes when we think, uh, you know, God only wants to hear from me when I'm excited. God only wants to hear from me when I'm delighted. Uh, God only wants me to pray when I'm feeling good about my faith and what's going on in my life. And when we're not feeling those things, we can tend to walk away from prayer and not, not feel the permission or the ability to say to God, this is how I'm travelling at the moment. This is how I'm struggling at the moment. This is what's going on in my life. But God, of all the prayers that you pray, actually wants you to pray a real one. I don't know if you remember or not, if you're a reader of the New Testament, Jesus didn't have a lot of time for hypocritical prayers. All right, He was actually quite scathing of them. So any lack of reality in prayer, if you're thinking, you know, I feel like crap, but I'll just say this instead. God's almost saying, you know, actually, don't, don't bother. If you're going to say something in prayer that's not real, that's not how you feel, that, that's not, uh, you know, true to what's going on in your situation, I can't actually work with that. Because faith is important, it's true in the Christian life in prayer, but faith doesn't mean speaking about a lack of reality. Faith can still be saying, this is what's going on in my life, but Lord, I'm telling you, because I actually believe you care and that you're able to step into that space that I'm going to share with you now. It's actually an expression of faith to tell God what is really going on and what's happening in your life. So the the psalm that I'm going to use today to uh, allow us to have a bit of fun with that, if I can call it that, is Psalm 42 and 43. And the reason why I've chosen two of them uh, is that it's quite possible that they're actually one psalm uh, in the first place. So they go together quite nicely. Uh, They uh, are the opening psalm in book two of the psalms. That's divided into five. uh, And this particular section was written by... Uh, what they call the sons of Korah, uh, who are probably just a group of uh, or a family that helped lead worship in the temple. So uh, these guys were appointed by King David to lead the music in the temple. Uh, the author of these particular psalms may have been uh, a prisoner in a foreign land, and that's probably a common feeling when it comes to treading water. And so when we look at these psalms, we can easily identify these three areas that you see on the screen before you. Uh, And I want you to think about as you look at those words, you know, are there any of them, those words that resonate with you at the moment? Uh, Would you say you're dry in your relationship with God and in your life? Uh, Would you say, I actually qualify for drowning you know, my circumstances seem to be mounting up around me and, and you know, I'm uh, really struggling with that at the moment. Or are you disheartened in terms of what's going on in your life and where you're at at the moment? Well, again, I want to encourage you that each of those states, if you like, are touched on in these Psalms. They're actually, we can actually point to them and indicate to them. So when you might have thought that the Bible is simply full of you know, statements about you know, how good are things and how great it's going and everything's, everyone believes and Jesus is fantastic and there's no room for me in there to have you know, a bit of a, a moment where I don't feel like that, the actual truth is different. 
And you can see there that we have these areas in the Psalms that we can look at. So we're going to look at the, we're going to allow these Psalms today to help us take us on a journey. The first stop today and in allowing us to say, well, okay, there might be something in what you're saying, Pastor. I might actually be sensing some of that and uh, I might be struggling in those areas, but I haven't ever thought about talking to God about it. I've never thought about praying about it. I thought I'd just work my way through. And, you know, when I feel a bit better, then I'll pray to God. But then the problem is you've lived a week, a month, two months, six, a year. And you're saying, now, when when was the last time I spoke to Jesus authentically? When was the last time I prayed properly about what's really going on with me and how I'm feeling about life and my walk. And you can realise it's actually been quite a long time. I've muttered a few things. I might have repeated the Lord's Prayer here, but I can't point to the last time when God really heard from me about what I was going through. So the invitation to everyone today is to let yourself go in prayer. To really... Allow God to hear and to see what's inside you at the moment. You're thinking, oh, pastor, I wouldn't say that to God. I wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't share. Oh, I just keep the good stuff for God. You know, the bad stuff, (laughs) my spouse gets that. (laughs) You know, I unload that somewhere else. But I I wouldn't. It's a holy, I can't take that there, but... Friends, it's actually we see in the scriptures that we are allowed to express. Firstly, in the opening of Psalm 42, the famous words, As the deer pants for streams of water, O my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? So this is not just a a fancy call to worship, but this is uh, an expression of a person who is saying, I don't sense... The, the life of God. I am bone dry. I'm as dead as a dodo. I've had it, Lord. I've got nothing. I'm empty. I'm dry. And I need God. Uh, we then read as he goes on that, in fact, this is not, as I said, just a call to worship for a nice time of song, but it's actually a distraught time in this person's life. My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? We might translate that in this way. I'm not even eating properly, Lord. All I do is cry. I'm sad all the time. And my friends say, you're supposed to be a Christian. Why don't you get over it? Have you ever looked at that verse and thought about it in that way? Often we think, oh, it's just a nice poem. It's just, you know, I don't know what the, the tears and the food, we're thinking, what is that? How does that work? But the person is saying that oh, the tears have been my food day and night means all they're doing is weeping. They're in this constant state of depression and sadness. They're not even eating properly. They're sad all the time and that they are getting criticised from the outside saying, why are you like that? Why are you in that state? Where is your God? And so the pressure, if you like, is coming from the inside and the outside. 
They're in a state where they can't find God, as it were. They're not filled with the living water. They're in this distressed state and the encouragement is not coming from outside, but it's actually criticism about what's wrong with you. Why can't you snap out of it? Why can't you step into the light? And I don't know if any of you have or are experiencing a moment where you're in a place where you're feeling like that and you're not getting the support and the encouragement that you would like to receive and you can only sense that criticism and that weight pressing in on top of you. You have a friend in the Psalms. It goes on to say in 7 B, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Translate, I'm getting pounded all the time. One calamity comes after another. I deal with one thing for another thing to emerge. It seems like I can't do anything right and I move from one crisis to the next. The psalmist understands it. When we stand in the middle of life, we're looking around for something to be joyful about. We're looking around for something to say, well, at least that's going right. We're looking around for something and at times we can't seem to put our hand on anything that might be positive and that might be flowing through. The psalmist understands the place where we might be at that time. He goes on and says, I say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Translate, as far as I can see, God, you don't even know what's happening and you don't care. What a statement to include in the scriptures. How can we allow someone to criticise and to complain in that way? Yet that complaint is invited. God's big enough for us to step into that space and share that problem. We might think that the suggestion that God is forgotten about someone uh, would never be allowed into that space and yet we can express that freely to him in that way. And then finally, it goes on in verse 10 to say, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? We might translate that in the end by saying I'm in pain and all I get in the world is mocking. Now folks I'm not saying you should pray like that on a regular basis or that you have to pray like that. What I'm saying to you is that you can pray like that. That that is a person who lets it all out who tells God exactly as it really is who expresses their complaint as they might or may not feel in terms of God relating to their circumstances and who really is authentic and original in that space. So I want to say to you sometimes that I think sometimes if we don't get to a moment we're willing to say this in prayer, that it can start to cause a divide in our life where we end up thinking, well, God's over there. I'm here with my disappointed self and because we won't bring that to him, well, he, we go here and we, the divide starts. 
And we end up living a, a sort of a life or an existence that's separated from him in prayer because we won't talk to him about the things that are dominating our thinking, are dominating our feeling and are dominating our journey in the world. And in fairness, we have to come back to God and say, look, okay, th- this, is, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with. This is causing me great pain at the moment, Lord, and I'm struggling to understand how you are involved in it and how you are working through it. I need your help, Lord. And I want to encourage you with the knowledge that that is the start of a purposeful prayer. That is a real prayer that truly directs and and relates to our journey. So we let ourselves go. But the first thing, the good thing is that in the Psalms, we don't just let it all out, voice our complaint and then walk away unsatisfied because the psalmist then steps into a realm where he starts to encourage himself as you were and, in, and we're calling this section make yourself think. So let yourself go, then make yourself think. That's what the psalms wants us to do next. And at the start of Psalm 42 it says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I used to go with a multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. And you might say that the writer's saying, I'm still a bit sad, but I'm thinking about better times. Sometimes we're in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a depression. The temptation is to think, this is all my life has ever been. That this period of time, this winter that I'm in, is all I've ever experienced. It's never going to get any better. I'm stuck in this place. But the psalmist on this occasion, he starts to go back in time and to think about a time when it was different and to think about a time when, in fact, he did walk in joy, that he was with others in celebrating God's goodness and he starts to use that as a, as a way of encouraging himself and allowing the fog to lift a little bit from where he or she is currently standing at that time. And then it goes on. My God, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Um, Not quite sure why they pick out that particular geographic location except to say that uh, it is a place where beautiful fresh water flows because the snow melts basically all the time there. I've seen it and tasted it myself at the top of uh, Israel in the mountain range. So he is um, this time still talking about his downness as it were But this time, instead of just saying, I'm thinking about the good times, he also goes on to say, now I'm thinking about God. That in my my depression, in my winter, in my struggle, I'm going to think about times that were different, but I'm also now going to start to fix my focus on God himself. I'm going to engage with him. I'm going to remember him. I'm going to direct my thoughts towards him. And then things take a bit of a turn at the start of Psalm 43. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, 
To God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a harp, O God, my God. Progress, hopeful, positive. The person now saying, I will. I will see the light of God. And the prayer is, Lord, get me out of here. Lord, lead me out of here. It's almost, the image is almost like taking God's hand in that downtime and said, Lord, just keep me walking. Just keep me going. Just just get me through this darkness. Just get me through to the other side. I, I will get through it. I'm going to hang on to you and I'm going to go to the other side. And then there's that sense at the end of verse 4 where I'm going to stand in that place and praise him. And I don't know about how you feel sometimes when you get to church, depending on the kind of week you had, when the music starts and we start praising God. I know I occasionally think to myself, I made it. (laughs) I'm here again. But it's as if when we praise God, we just we step out of whatever what is and we just say, Lord, I'm in that space where I'm going to declare your goodness over myself and others and over you. And we reach that point in our week. And that's why it's a regular cycle where we just say, Lord, you are truly good. You've been faithful to me again. I have made it through another week but I am making progress with you. I'm in the place of praise again. So we don't just, you know, start the service with songs because we couldn't think of anything else to do at that time. There's a purpose in praising God as the first act when we come together. We do it for a reason. We meet on the first day of the week, even though your calendar might say it's the last. It's the first day of the week. The first thing you do when your week starts is you come together with other believers. And the first thing you do when you come together with other believers is you praise God. You're doing something highly symbolic and highly special. It's okay to complain. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to be in a winter. It's okay to struggle with life. It's okay to tread water. It's okay to have pain. It's okay to lack hope and courage at times. That's normal. Those things are invited to be spoken into. That's part of being alive. The only request I make of you today, church, is bring it to the feet of God at some stage. Don't dress it up. Don't pretty it up. Don't say something different from where you are, but instead engage with God and say, with you, Lord, I will walk through this time. With you, I will come through. And use that moment to do that. Part three, pull yourself together. That sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? But Psalm 42 includes quite a famous uh, moment where the writer reflects on, firstly complains about his circumstances, then thinks about God and better times, and then in light of that starts to speak to himself and says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Maybe tells himself off, maybe rebukes himself, or maybe just says, you know, no matter what's going on, no matter what I'm experiencing, 
I, I can't stay there in my heart. I can't remain there in that place. Why are you so downcast in the light of God's goodness and grace? Instead, I will put my hope in him. And it says something interesting, for I will yet praise him. It's as if the person's saying, I can't do it now. I can't even get the words out of my mouth. I can't bring myself because I'm such in a fog. But it's as if they're promising themselves and God that the time is coming when they will praise him again. They will stand in that place where that winter lifts, where that fog goes away, where they get to the other side. It's almost as if they're saying, this will have its end. Things will get better. I will get to the other side of this. I would heartily recommend praising God at all times, even in the most difficult of circumstances. However, I am fully aware that at times that is extremely hard to do. I know that. But yet it's almost as if we make a promise to ourselves that we will get to that place where we will praise his name and that we need to sometimes speak to ourselves about the goodness of God and stepping out of that place when we're in a moment when we're stuck. I was thinking uh, about the act of treading water. I don't know, did everyone here learn to swim? When we were little fellas, we went to... David Urry's swim centre down at Seaton, I think it was. And I think he got a certificate when you could tread water. It was pretty exciting. Probably the first certificate I ever got in life. Uh, you know, you sit there and you, what do you do? You pedal your feet and go like that. You know, you've got to be able to do it for so long. Uh, the reason you're taught how to do it is because if you sort of can't swim or, you know, you're a bit tired or whatever, if you tread water, you can keep your head above the water for a period of time until someone comes to fish you out. And I was thinking the success to uh, what makes treading water a success is that you shout out and that you keep moving. There's not much more to it than that. Be sure to shout out, but keep moving. And today's invitation to treading water successfully, church, is for you to shout out and to keep moving. Because if you can do both of those things while you're treading water, you're going to be okay. But don't bottle it up. Don't push God away and keep it away from him. Don't fail to talk to someone else about it. But instead, open your gob and tell it like it really is. And share it how hard it really is. And if you're not happy with the way God's doing business, let him know. He's okay with that. He's heard worse. And just get it out on the table and shout out at that time. But the other thing that you need to do is not just dig in and say, this is never going to get better. I refuse to move from here. I will be stuck and depressed. I insist on it. But instead, just to say, you know, I'm just going to take hold of whatever God's offering me and move another step today. I'm just going to go a little bit further. I'm just going to believe that this wind is not going to last forever and I'm going to able to move on and to move through it. I want to share with you a scripture, in fact, two scriptures, just to finish our sermon. Um, and... They are actually two verses that mean a lot to Judy and myself. And then we're going to pray uh, and wrap this up. Um, 
The first one is uh, Philippians 1.6. That was a scripture that meant a lot to me at a time when I felt that the state that I'd ended up in was permanent. You know, it was never going to get better, that I'd made mistakes as a Christian and I just couldn't get out of it. And I came across Philippians 1.6. Not sure if someone gave it to me and I've never forgotten it. Here the Apostle Paul says that he's confident that he who began a good work in you, that's Jesus, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What we can take for this, folks, is that God is at work in every one of you who have said yes to him. Every one of you who have had the Holy Spirit, God is at work in you. Sometimes we think, mate, God is working on someone else because nothing's happening in my life. But God is at work at you. And not only that, he is so committed to the process that's going on in your life that he will see it through to completion. He will bring it to pass in your life. So I encourage you to be encouraged by Philippians 1.6. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, if you've been in the faith for a long time, maybe 35 years, you might have. But it's very hard to quit on the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit's alive on the inside of you, The Holy Spirit's praying, the Holy Spirit's worshipping, the Holy Spirit's praising God. And you're saying, well, I'd rather be depressed. And the Holy Spirit's going, well, I'm coming out this way. Well, I'm just going to stop here. Well, I'm persevering through you this way. And we try and go on strike and resist the love of God and stay in the grumps and, and not move. But the Holy Spirit, he's going back to God. He's going towards worship. He's going into praise. He's moving forward in your life. And you want to quit, but I'm telling you, you've got a problem now (laughs) because God's alive on the inside of you and his destiny is to persevere through you towards Jesus. So I don't mean to be, you know, too sort of mean and nasty about it, but if the Holy Spirit's alive on the inside of you, you're going to have a really big wrestle if you try and dig in and not move. You're going to have a really big wrestle if you try and block out the love and the praise of God because that's where the Holy Spirit's going. So I encourage you, it's okay to be flat, but allow the Holy Spirit to do his work inside you because he's focused on the throne room of heaven and that's what he wants to build through you. Secondly... This great promise that is actually Judy's life verse, so you've got two life verses from the Blands today, is this wonderful speech that God speaks over his people at a very desperate time when they're in slavery. uh, um, They weren't where they were meant to be. Uh, And um, God speaks about he's got a plan. God has a purpose. The seasons of our year reach, they're always moving towards the next thing. So even when you think God's finished with me, he's fed up with me, I've been this way for so long, he must be tired of me, I haven't been praying and praising him, I struggle to get to church. I want you to know that God is not finished with you and he is planning for your next move. He's planning for your next step. He has another season for you. And we can sit there and have a fight about it, says the Holy Spirit, or you can allow me to do my work in your life. Which will you choose today, folks? 
Will you cooperate with him in your time of treading water? Or are you going to do your best to drown yourself? Shout out and keep moving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that unbelievably in your word, you invite people to complain to you. Lord, we just can't believe your grace in allowing mere humans to voice their disapproval with the way things are unfolding in their life. Yet, Lord, we see your heart in allowing us to do that, that even ourselves you invite our real prayers, even when they're depressed and they're desperate. Lord, we thank you that you also show us a way through our winter of discontent, a way through our time of treading water, that you help us to remember and also to recall, Lord, who you are and what you've done. And then, Lord, to look forward, to say, I'm going to get through this. I will get over it. I will praise the name of the living God again. And, Lord, we thank you that you are good and kind, that you understand the seasons of our life, that they're not a mystery to you, that struggle and trial are part of following you and being alive. And, Lord, that you will lift us up. You will lift our church up. You will lift our community up. That winter will not last forever. And that good times, sunshine will come again. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here this morning that's struggling. I really do. And I'm thinking firstly of those who have faith in you, who have been born again in you, but have found themselves in a real hole, in a real rut. And they're really struggling. Lord, I, want, I pray that this morning they would know that you are a faithful God, that you will persevere with them and through them, that you do have a plan for them. You've got a plan for next. And it's not too far away. It's there. But they just need to hang on. They just need to walk step after step. They need to hold your hand and they need to get through. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to pray for people who have not said yes to you who don't know what it means to have you alive on the inside of them, but they do know what it means to be in a hole. Lord, I pray this morning they would see you as Lord and Saviour, as rescuer from their circumstances and from their sin, from the things that separate them from you and the things that would disrupt them in their life. You are the master at search and rescue. And you've found them today and you want them to respond. Lord, I pray that they'd make a decision for you today, that they would come forward at the end of this service and say, I want Jesus' rescue. I want to be prayed for. I want to receive him. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, we're going to close our service today simply.